um, we finally got the uh, uh, DAA started in um, in Dallas, um, and I I sponsored um, three or four of the people that started DAA in in Dallas. I was sponsoring them at the time in our AA meeting at Primary Purpose Group Dallas, and so it got to where we were completely. I mean, we were just getting covered up with little dope fiends, and it was cool. Um, but I felt kind of weird because they were struggling trying to get plugged in and, and find a, a real home. Um, and because it was an AA meeting, there was singleness of, of, of purpose problems. And um, it was all of our meetings were open. So everybody was welcome to come and study, but it still was a, a, a problem. And so I want to tell you this real quick little piece. There was a, a, a gal that I was working uh, with sort of, uh, I wasn't sponsoring her. We were just real close in the program. And, and Wendy said, um, we got to do something about starting another meeting. And she said, I start, I've talked to some people and they tell me that there are some NA meetings that uh, are using the big book. And I, I went, well, I've never heard of that, but we give it a try and see if we could get it started. And so they did. And they had uh, their first night meeting um, as an NA meeting. And it was a huge success. I mean, the room was packed and everybody was having a great time. Well, apparently some folks got, got angry uh, because it was an NA meeting and they had a big book there instead of somebody else's literature, the NA literature. And so it got to be a crap show with that meeting. The meeting the next week, it, it turned into a nightmare. Um, and so Wendy called me on the phone and she said, Meyer, she said, this, it's, this is turned into, it's crazy over here. And I said, just get out of there, buddy. We'll figure out another way to do it. And, and so they did. They just walked away from it. Um, and I said, listen, listen, let's pray about this stuff and see what we got to work with. Um, and a couple of days later, this guy named Jason called me, who was one of our members at that group or one of the guys that were there. And he called and he said, hey, um, have you ever heard of DAA? And I went, uh-uh. And he said, well, it started in Sweden. And I've, I've talked to them on a couple of emails and they're willing to help us start a DA meeting in the United States. It was the first Drug Addicts Anonymous meeting um, in the States. Um, and it was, um, and they were gracious and helped us in a, in a jillion ways and got the meeting off the ground. And guys, listen, I'm not ragging on NA at all. Trust me when I say this, buddy. I, I, they're, they're, it's been the only hope for a lot of people over the years. But it, it's like it's like a geographic kind of a thing. Um, some of the strongest NA I've ever seen was in New York, um, and some other. There's been some other places where I've come across some in my travels. I found some in Europe that was fantastic. It was just spot on. Um, in Dallas, they used to there used to be a saying in Dallas: if you wanted to get loaded or laid, go to NA. Now, <laughs> the, which is not which is not a good thing if you're trying to get sober, if you're trying to get clear of that stuff. And it was just, uh, um, I met a lot of nice people, still know them today, but uh, I was so grateful um, more than most people will ever know that DAA uh, got some wings on it and were able to fly a bit. Um, and then we, we got a couple of them in Houston, we got one in Austin, and then all of a sudden it just kind of exploded. There was another one in Fort Worth and pretty soon um, uh, we, had a, we had a bunch of them. I've been a member of three DAA uh, uh, 
groups now, uh, depending on where I am geographically, I travel a lot. Um, and so it's, um, it's, a, it's an honor truly um, to, uh, to be here and to talk about that. Um, I, I, um, um, I've got several things I wanna talk about that are a little bit kind of off the you know, regular course, but I, I just feel like it's, it would be fun to talk about a little of this because we all are in a kind of a weird place that we've been doing this Zoomy stuff for a year and some months now. Uh, and a lot of these guys are going back to in-person meetings. I suspect at some point in time, um, the uh, um, a lot of people will be back in in person. But I've noticed some real changes in a lot of the people that I sponsor. A lot of the guys that I'm sponsoring, um, a lot of guys that I sponsor didn't come back uh, when we got into personal face-to-face meetings. They didn't come back, um, and some are still doing some some uh, uh, Zoom stuff, but it's it's a different dynamic i'm grateful for zoom stuff but um but it's a different dynamic and we we ought to talk a little bit about that kind of stuff and kind of kind of get some info about that um when i sobered up in 88 uh chris the evil twin uh my my twin brother uh took me to my first aa meeting and i've watched him in and out of aa for years and years and years and he couldn't stay sober um, and he finally fell in with a bunch of folks that were sweethearts that really kind of plugged him in and, and he made some progress. And, and then he took me to my first meeting and um, I'm four minutes older than he is. And so I'm much wiser. And so it was I just had one sobriety day, just just one um, uh, January 15th of 88. And it was this the bomb. Um so listen, I only want to tell you this piece of this story, and I'm not going to tell you a bunch of other stuff, but I just want to tell you this one little piece of this thing. Um, um, I am proof positive that you can do absolutely nothing in AA or DAA and still stay sober for a little while. Um, I, I'm, you can go to enough meetings. You can, you can be distracted enough by, you know, meetings and stuff that are going on and the fellowship is great. I'm never knocking any of that, but I got to tell you, um, most of you are, are wired genetically just like I am. Um, you're better looking than I am. Um, not quite so hairy. Um, and, um, but you, most of you understand what I'm talking about. You can be in meetings sometimes and find yourself drifting sideways towards something that looks like like hell um, and you don't really know why it's happening and you don't really know why you're heading that direction um, people keep people were they, they'd keep telling me you know you just need to come to some more meetings and I'd keep sharing about how unhappy I was and um, I spent two and a half three years hitting it it was okay I was fine my wife was digging me again we had another little baby girl and it was it, it was just fine um, but somewhere between that third year and that fourth year, the depression came back. Um, the anxiety stuff is kicking my butt. Um, I'm, I'm just not a happy guy. I seem to be angry at everybody. Um, I've got this, I've got things going on in my life that I can't explain where they're coming from. I'm buying tons of stuff I don't need. Tools, clothes, music. I mean, have any of y'all ever done that? Y'all ever buy clothes you don't wear and music you don't listen to or books you don't read? Um, I mean, I, I was just, years later, somebody would say, 
Myers, do you ever, did it ever occur to you that you were scratching an itch that the booze used to scratch? And I went, that didn't make any sense. And he said, well, stick around a little bit. Uh, it, it will, if you would, if you would spend as much time studying the basic text as you do go into those stupid discussion meetings, because we had 32 meetings a week. We had 32 meetings a week and they were all discussion meetings. We had no literature-based meetings. I'm almost seven years sober and I don't know who the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous are. Now, I got to tell you, it's embarrassing to admit it. Um, I can't blame it on the group because I had a book. I, I, I had a book, a big book. It was a perfect place to set my coffee cup when I was at the meeting. It was just... <sighs> We were talking a little bit before the meeting. Y'all, we, we teach what we're taught. And if you're taught, meeting makers make it. If you're taught the aphorisms on the wall, just don't drink, think, think, think. If, you, if, if that's what you're taught, that's what you'll teach. And, and listen, I'm here to tell you, I, I, I mean nobody any disrespect. I don't ever want to step on anybody. But we got to stop that stuff. This, this idea that, how many, how many of y'all have ever heard that? The line, if you, if you just hang around long enough, you'll hear what you need to hear. Well, I think we all have. But guys, I'm not saying that, you, that some people do hear what they need to hear. But there's some train wrecks like me that wasn't hearing anything that I could use. Uh, we spent week after week after week, 32 meetings a week, talking about your day and your shopping problems and your I don't know it's just crazy and I, I just was getting sicker and sicker my wife is totally not digging me I mean Londa would like to kick me completely uh, away if she could and and um and I don't blame her looking back it's a miracle listen that, that she put up with me in the middle of booze and dope land I, I, I'm always amazed with that but that at seven years sober quote unquote, sober, with me being suicidal and unable to work, um, a scary guy to live with, that she put up with me then, that she t even tolerated me, is, is a, a miracle. She, she is um, uh, an amazing gal for doing what she did. Um, so I'm doing all these things. Guys, I need, I need to put this into perspective. When I sobered up, I'd been wanting to learn how to fly an airplane forever. And when I, but I, I couldn't stay sober enough to take a check ride with the FAA. I don't, I think they're being a little bit picky wanting you sober in the airplane, but that's just me. Okay. Um, but, but so when I got sober, I finished my, my uh, uh, academic part of that and, and then finished the, and finally took the check ride stuff and then decided I needed to buy an airplane. Well, I don't know if y'all priced airplanes, um, but it's um, it's sickening how expensive they are. And then trying to take care of them is even more sickening. And so I buy this airplane and a little bit later. It's not big enough. And we had another daughter. So I got three daughters now. And so I got to buy another airplane. And then a little bit later, I decided, you know, I need a project airplane to work on, too, because I really am fascinated with the older stuff. So I bought another airplane. Now guys, listen, my. I can't afford one and I have three. I have tools, I don't even know what they are. I have music I don't listen to. I've got all of this stuff going on like this. And, and my wife is just, you know, 
I told him I was going to quit. Uh, I was going to quit completely AA and all 12 step stuff. I, it didn't work. And I, I knew I was going to drink at some point in time or kill myself. And I, I remember being at a meeting one night and I even wrote it down. I had a little piece of paper with a little, some notes on there and hi y'all. My name is Myers. Well, y'all know who I am. And then I was going to read this little, I'm out of here thing. And, um, and this, I started, started talking and this guy said, Myers, dude, Hey, man, we know you're real unhappy, pal. We, we know you're not doing well. Um, can I make a suggestion? And I said, yeah, okay. His guy, his, this kid's name is Horse Jim. Horse Jim. That's all I ever knew of this guy. I knew him for seven years and didn't even know his last name. Horse Jim. And, and Horse goes, hey, Myers, some people just need to be in more meetings. Maybe you need to figure it out a way that you can come to two meetings a day. And I remember going, yeah, good idea, horse. And I, I, I wanted to kick him in the nuts. I just, I just, I didn't, you're not supposed to say that. I'm sorry. Um, I remember walking out of that, of that meeting hall that night. And I loved those people. And I loved that room. And I, I loved everything about it. Um, and I, I remember walking out on the street and I got into my old Toyota Land Cruiser and it was about 97 degrees and it was so hot. I, and I remember slamming that door and I put my head down on that steering wheel and I just cried like a little kid. I wept and wept. I just, I didn't know what to do. Guys, I don't want to go back to the dope house. I don't want to drink again. I, I, I want to be sober. Uh, but if this is what sobriety is like, I just can't do it. Um, I called Chris, the evil twin. I called him. He was living in the hill country down here where I am now. And he had uh, got a sponsor, a cat by the name of Mark Houston. And, and um, um, Mark was, was a big book guy. And what, every time I talked to Chris, he was, he was laughing and he was joking and stuff. And I, so I called him and I said, hey, I'm in some real trouble. I don't think I'm going to make it. And he said, I've been telling you for two years, you need to find another group where, the, where they're studying the text you can go back and visit this old group, but you need to find a place where you'll concentrate on the literature um, so that you understand what's going on. Because Myers, you don't have a clue what alcoholism is or what drug addiction is or what, I mean, you don't, you don't have a clue. And, and he was right. And, and so I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, I gave you the name of an old guy there. Remember that guy? And I said, yeah. And he said, did you ever call him? And I went, no. And he said, he said, I'll send it to you again. And he, he sent it to me. And so, or he called me, this is before cell phones actually. And he called me and he said, uh, uh, here it is. And a, a couple of days later, I called him and I went over and saw him and everything changed. Um, he was um, real direct with me. He, Clifford was sponsored by Joe McQuaney of Joe and Charlie fame. And, and Joe was, I mean, I, it couldn't have been sweeter. Um, um, I, was, I was primed and ready. The, I knew that I had to do something. So there was a great deal of motivation um, to move towards a solution. And so all I needed was to be shown the solution. And that's what they did so effectively, not shooting from the hip, sharing about how they managed to, to pay some money back to Walmart. I, they, all of that was important, but that's not what was going to save my life. What was going to save my life was understanding a that I have a serious disease, progressive in nature, which is always going to get worse, never better. 
I'm not just going to wake up one day and it's going to be gone. It's going to kill me or get me locked up statistically. And I went, okay, well, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And Clifford says, look, if you'll just hang around and study with us for a little while, if you'll just study with us, um, uh, you can go back to your old home group later if you want to, um, or you can just stay with us. And I said, I'll probably go back to my home group. Uh, I, I mean, these are my homies for seven years. And, and he goes, whatever, whatever, just I'll, I'll see you Tuesday night. And so I went over and, and it was a rough, rough start, kind of rocky because I still wanted to play games with them and shoot from the hip and, you know, try to be funny with everything I said. And, and eventually they got a little tired of it. They just started ignoring me. And, um, um, but eventually I started hearing things um, that connected dots with other things that I'd heard. Um, it was an amazing kind of a thing. And I did one night we were talking about um, Chapter four, we agnostics, that first paragraph that qualifies that little qualifier. If when you want, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. That little piece about choice and control. And we're reading that in the book study. And I remember kind of looking at the wall and I went, oh, my gosh, I'm an alcoholic. And after the meeting, I walked up and I, uh, uh, there's a guy named Philip File there. And I said, Philip, man, I'm an alcoholic. And he said, yeah. You are, but why are you just now figuring that out? And I said, nobody's ever, I didn't, I thought I was an alcoholic because I kept parking my car sideways in the driveway. I, I, I think it's a, it's that kind of stuff that makes me an alcoholic. And, and, and all of a sudden I'm connected up that there is a physical component and a mental component that separates me from normal people. And I need to be clear about that. I need to understand that. They would introduce a spiritual part of this later. It was fascinating. It was kind of a, I've had two or three really pivotal places in recovery land. One of them was that night when I finally stopped playing games and trying to exert my old head full of old ideas. And I just sat back and relaxed and let it go and then started new. I just got my pride out of the way and quit trying to play that game. Um, and it was an amazing change. Another one was when I did 12 step work for the first time. And another one was when I was forced uh, um, by the necessity to seek God and an 11th step experience. And I just simply had never done it before. And it was, it was a game changer. Um, I, I wanna read something real quick. The, um, I, I won't bore you with a bunch of this stuff. There was some, some statistical stuff that uh, intergroup office in Harris County in Texas, Harris County is down south of us where Houston is. It's a, an enormous metropolitan area. And their intergroup office did what a lot of uh, offices have done, but they made their data public where you could get it. And I've got it right here on the on this thing. And what they were doing was looking at chip sales. Uh, and this one was kind of fascinating. I'm going to ignore 2020 because it was a total cluster with the Rona stuff. It was a it, it's it's not going to help me any. The the night 2019, the year before. Um, the the virus stuff. Um, there were um, sixteen. I'm going to round this off so we don't have to use weird numbers. Sixteen thousand desire chips were sold by the intergroup office 
in, in 2019, 16,000. Guess how many one month chips were given out? 6,000. Guys, that's 10,000 people that, that made the effort to walk up to the front of a meeting, pick up a desired chip, introduce themselves, and then walk back over and sit down. It, it took some, some courage to do that. And the question is, people roll their eyes and they'll go, well, this is not, not, not science. This is not, I'm not saying it's science. I'm just saying it's anecdotal that we would have 16,000 people pick up desire chips and one month later, 10,000 of them were gone. The question, so the question becomes, where do they go? And why did they go? And let me throw out what I think it is. This is just a crusty old guy from Texas. Is, is this my opinion? I don't think they got what they needed. I think that we loved on them and told them how important that they were and patted them on the butt and told them to keep coming back. But we didn't help them see. We didn't help them. We didn't qualify them to help them see the desperate nature of the situation that they were in. Guys, let me tell you something. Once you understand the nature of alcoholism and drug addiction like that, there's mo major motivation to move towards a solution. Listen, motivation and willingness, willingness is a, is a, is a fluid thing. How many of y'all have ever seen people that you sponsor or people that you've seen in meetings that were willing to do anything at one point and days later, they weren't willing to do crap. They weren't willing to even show up at a meeting anymore. That's how, that's how weird that gets. And so we just have to pay attention to it. In the early days, the first thing they did was help you understand the nature of your disease. That's the first thing they did. Here's a cup of coffee. Let's sit down and talk for just a minute. And then they would help you understand what's going on. Guys, listen, I've sponsored hundreds of men in the last 33 years that, that um, uh, I have qualified when I met them and they went, wow, it's funny. Ha, ha, ha. They always laugh. It's not funny. I never, I, nobody ever qualified me. I never understood the nature of my disease. And I'm going, golly, guys, that's on us. I mean, that's that's uh, that's our stuff. Uh, and it's just there's a piece that Bill Wilson wrote in 1966. Um, I'm not going to read it all. I just want to read one little piece of it here. At the bottom of this little letter that he wrote, this little piece for the grapevine, this is why sobriety, freedom from alcohol, through the teaching and practice of AA's 12 steps is the sole purpose of the group. If we don't stick to this cardinal principle, we shall almost certainly collapse. And if we collapse, we cannot help anyone. I want to read the first line of that again, because I want to make sure that everybody hears it and understands what I'm saying. This is why sobriety, freedom from alcohol, through the teaching and practice of AA's 12 steps is the sole purpose of the group. There was another piece that Bill wrote in 1944, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. So why are we sponsoring people that have been in the rooms for 20 or 30 years and don't know anything about the program? All they know is the meeting. They don't know anything else. It's, it's mind numbing how many people I've talked to over the years who have no clue uh, what this program is about and what the steps are about. Well, next time y'all are in a book study 
uh, and going through there, look at how many times Bill Wilson refers uh, the reader back to the chapter on alcoholism, chapter three. It, it, it will freak you out four times that I can think of right off, right off hand. And the, the one that's the most fascinating to me is the one where um, they're talking in the ch uh, chapter to the wives when they go, if he's having trouble with spiritual stuff, referring back to not we agnostics, which is what I thought it would be, they refer him back to the chapter on alcoholism. Why? Because if I understand the nature of my disease, the idea of spiritual stuff becomes easier, really. Um, I'm, I'm not fighting the idea of a, of a creator uh, when I realize that what I have on the other side of the equation is death or incarceration. It's, it's a, the Clifford used to say, we got to give them a great case of alcoholism. And I, and I get it. I, I, it sounded so stupid when he said it, but I, but I, I understand that stuff. Um, um, how many of y'all have ever heard um, a pamphlet or read a pamphlet called um, A Member's Eye View of AA? It, it was written by a cat named uh, uh, Alan um, McGinnis. Um, and he wrote, he did a talk um, at some conference um, 50 years ago. And they printed the, the transcript of the talk. And that's what the pamphlet is. It was the transcript of what he was, of the, of the talk that he did. I want to read this little piece. Keep in mind, this was 50 years ago, give or take a year or two. This is 50 years ago that he wrote this. There is a widely held belief in AA that if a newcomer will simply continue to attend meetings, something will finally rub off on you. And the implication, of course, is that the something which rubs off will be this so-called miracle of AA. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that many people in AA accept this statement quite literally. I have observed them over the years. They faithfully attend meetings, faithfully waiting for something to rub off. The funny part about it is that something is rubbing off on them, death. They sit there week after month after year while mental, spiritual, and physical rigor mortis slowly sets in. I mean, if we, if we went back to this, to this list from this intergroup office in Harris County like this, there were uh, 16,000 desired chips, 6,000 one-month chips. I'm going to skip down to one year, 1,400. And then you skip on down like this. By the time you get down to nine years, you had 269. By the time you get to 15 years, you had 157. Where do these guys go? Let me make a suggestion. It's just something to consider. Just, just something. Starting in the 70s, in the early 70s, with the uh, advent of the Hughes Act, which was the uh, kind of a legal piece of legislation that put teeth in the treatment industry, and there was an upside to it and a downside to it. The upside to it was that tens of thousands of people overnight with a signature, tens of thousands of people had access to some form of treatment which helped a lot of people get sober. That was the plus side. The downside was, is that money was involved. 
And anytime you get money in the situation, things get confusing and get complicated. And then, and so you ended up with an industry and listen, I'm not ragging on the treatment industry. I love that industry. I was a part of it for a number of years and really um, uh, it's helped a jillion people. I'm, I'm not doing that, but, but there were no, um, there were no um, boundaries on what people could do. If you, if you want to, it got kind of funny sometimes going to, uh, treatment center conferences where you had just people that were in the industry and you'd have 12 step people and you'd have, you know, smart recovery people. And you'd have all kinds of different people that had different ideas, crystal people. And I mean, you should see me standing in front of a booth going, now, let me see if I understand this. If I sit on this crystal, I can be sober. Yes. Yes. Do I buy the purple one or do I buy the black one? I mean, i it's just, a, it's just, a, a, you kind of go like, okay, okay, no wonder people think we're all idiots. Um, um, but, but we do the same thing within the, within, within AA. How many of y'all have the pleasure of traveling around the, uh, the country or the world and, and go to a bunch of AA stuff? I mean, the people, I've had conversations where people go, Myers, you're so lucky. You get to go to all these AA meetings. And I'm going, yeah, okay. <laughs> some of them have been pretty fun but guys the, the there have been countless times when i'm traveling and i'm in an aa meeting and i don't even know where i am i mean i'm looking around going i know i saw a circle and triangle on that door i know this is an aa meeting but but we've been 40 minutes talking about a guy's dog that died i mean i just listen do i think that there needs to be a place to talk about our dog dying damn straight I'll let you in on a little secret. It's called a sponsor. Call them, talk, visit, share. Just, I tell you, if, if you ever get a second, um, next time you're in a meeting that, that's not a, not a book study, because it'll never happen in a book study, um, ever. But, but in a regular discussion kind of thing, watch the dynamic in the room as a new person would. Sometimes we just take it for granted and we just check out and we just look at our phone or do something else while somebody like that. But watch, pick a new person in the room that you know is pretty new and then watch them as they go through the meeting. And it's like, it's like you, somebody starts talking about solution out of the basic text. They start talking about re recovery and all of a sudden you'll see somebody slide forward in their chair and they get set up and they, they're kind of holding their coffee cup and they're engaged like this. And then that guy quits. And then the next, there's a, there's another guy. He's going to tell you, he said, listen, I know I shared this yesterday, but you know, I'm in the middle of this divorce. And he starts talking about this divorce kind of stuff. And then watch the, the same little guy that was so excited a minute ago, slides back in his chair. He does this and he puts his head down on the table or he gets up and goes get coffee or, or whatever. We, I, I'm not, would it be groovy? I mean, seriously, groovy times 10. If we could have a, a, a just a heads up old discussion meeting and you can talk about whatever you want to. And the next night, a book study. So people could at least have an option. And, and this is the only reason I'm mentioning this stuff, guys, is that I, each one of us as a member of Drug Addicts Anonymous, each one of us has an obligation to hold a standard of what's what um, is going to help folks um, statistically worldwide in AA land. Um, uh, we're batting less than 10% worldwide. 
of people that come stay. And that's tragic when you think of how many thousands, millions and millions of us have gotten sober in this fellowship by doing the things that we were supposed to do. Uh, but you've had a lot more statistically, a lot more people came and left because they weren't hearing what they needed. So anyway, it's something to pay attention to and to see. Um, let me ask you, how many of y'all have ever uh, uh, listened to any of the old talks that Don Pritz ever did? Don's kind of an iconic guy from Denver. His talks are out there. Um, and, and really, um, you would, you would love this old dude. Um, he passed away years ago. Um, one of his last AA talk was one of the most profound AA talks I've ever heard ever. Um, he talked on a Saturday night and passed away the next day on Sunday. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it'll blow you away. Don sobered up in the federal penitentiary system, and he was um, uh, a fascinating dude. He sobered up in the 60s and 70s. Um, in one of those early talks, he said, um, he said, you know, folks, I'm concerned. Uh, and I'm concerned that we seem to be talking more and more these days about sobriety and less and less about recovery. And I remember the very first time that I, I heard that, I kind of went, eh, I didn't get it really. You know, I kind of have, have always bought into the sober one, sober one day at a time thing. And, and what he was saying was, is that the, the recovery thing um, was something that we tended to, to or even our literature in AA seemed to move away from the sober for good and for all to this sober one day at a time stuff. I don't know whether it was an effort to get people here or keep, I, I don't know what, what the reason was, but you could see it in the brochures. If you go back and look at the brochures that are, most of them are online now, but go back and look at them and starting in the seventies, especially uh, by the late seventies, it got pretty interesting. It, it got pretty funny to watch how the, the our literature started uh, changing um, and not necessarily for the better. Um, you know, it's, it's like we seem to be more interested in membership than in carrying a real, um, a real deal. Um, guys, if you want to understand what, what it's like to recover, um, I spent seven years in, 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 uh, uh, AA, um, because DAA wasn't there at the time. And, and I spent seven years in those rooms trying to stay sober one day at a time. And I was as unhappy as I could be. And, and, um, the steps uh, kind of eluded me, but but being in those rooms was a bit of a burden. I mean, it was like I, I felt like I had to be in a meeting because it was the meeting that kept me sober. Had I not been so dang lazy, if I'd have just read the text, I would have understood that it's not that. The, the, our literature never, ever says that you need to get your butt in a meeting, that your that your sobriety depends on a, me, a meeting. It never says that. And yet we make that the center of our program. Um, and it really, the center of our program should be a deepening relationship with our creator. If my goal is to stand in the sunlight of the spirit and the steps are what's necessary to get me into that sunlight, why aren't we teaching people that? And for crying out loud, why are we waiting so long to get them there? I talked to a guy today earlier on another Zoom on a, on a meeting, and, and he was talking about he'd been in recovery in, in, in the rooms uh, uh, three different times 
in the last 15 years, and he'd never been able to stay sober. And I asked him about the last time he, he said, I, I thought I was closer. And I said, how, let, just let me ask you a, 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 just a sort of a technical question. How long did it take you to work the steps when you were working them? And he said, well, the first time it took me two years to work the steps. And the next time I kind of ran the show and it took another you know year and a half before I'd kind of worked through it. And this third time, uh, we're almost a year and I still haven't done eight, nine. And I went, what about 10, 11, and 12? And he said, no, I haven't done eight, nine. I can't do 10, 11, and 12 until I do eight, nine. I said, are you crazy? How do you stay in these rooms on a spiritual path and, and not be connected? You can't do that, buddy. You, you, you can't. You're going to have to figure out a way to hurry this up. And he said, well, how fast, if, I, if you were sponsoring me, how fast would you have me through it? And I said, 30 days max. I mean, that's if. I mean, it may be 45 days if we can't get our schedules together worked out like that. But I mean, he said, there's no way. And I said, let's, why don't we do it? And he said, would you? And I said, yeah, I would. And we did. And so I, I, we got him, we did one, two, and three today. Guys, this, this idea, this, this thing, go back and look at the historical data around everybody that was involved in writing the big book. All of these, the, the, these original founding members of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, all of them work the work in, in a, a week, max. Go back and read Clarence Snyder's uh, uh, memoirs and look at how many people he talks about and how quick they work the work and the mind-blowing experiences they had because they were willing to do the work quickly and get through this stuff. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to force people to do anything. But dang, if the motivation is there and you're struggling like a big dog and you you understand the nature of this progressive disease, time is not your friend. Go back and look at page 24, that little italics part on this kind of stuff like that. You won't remember. I promise you this idea that you could think through the drink. I'd like to punch that guy in the nuts. Whoever wrote that stuff. I'm just don't I won't go there. I, it just drives me crazy like that. The the. And, and for us little dope fiends, you're going to think through that? Guys, come on, man. I, I, I love you. I, I, let me just tell you the truth. The first time that, that the thought comes of going to the dope house, you're going. You're, I mean, you're, until you get a little healthier, but early on like that, the insanity is real. It's real. Um, you got you to gotta get. You got to get going. Let me wrap this stuff up. Um, one of the coolest pieces of the big book, as far as I'm concerned anyway, one of the coolest pieces is this piece from the ABCs over to the third step prayer. You have two and a half pages where Bill Wilson kind of blows it away when he just, it's, it's brilliant once you see why it's there. Um, this stage character that he describes. Um, how many of y'all have ever read the older literature that Bill Wilson would write after the traditions were done and the, the, the stuff in the 50s with Harry Tebow, his psychiatrist and some of these guys, and he wrote a bunch of stuff about emotional sobriety. Let me ask this question just to, for everybody that's in the room tonight. How many of y'all ever got sober, you got clear of the booze and the dope, and then realized that you didn't dig who you were? It happens all the time, guys. It, it, it happens. I just think all I got to do, this is the reason I was blown away. When Bill Wilson says, 
Selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problem. I'm looking at Bill Wilson and I'm going, uh-uh, dude, you missed it. Canadian whiskey and methamphetamines is the root of my problem. I'm just telling you, my 100%, I'm all in. If I get rid of the, the booze and the dope, I'm going to be fine. I'm basically a good guy. Honest, I'm, I'm okay. Wow. And then, I, and then I get sober and I spend seven years twisting around with no spiritual solution to my problem other than just going to a bunch of meetings. And I am, hi, my name is Myers Raymer and I'm nutty as a squirrel turd. You, you, I, I'm a fruitcake. And all you have to do is ask my wife, just ask her. And she'll just kind of like look at the ground and look back at me and she'll try to stay quiet. But the reality of it is, guys, I have three daughters that are, that are scared spitless of me seven years sober. They're scared spitless because they don't know who's coming home because I am this classic stage character that Bill Wilson describes on those two and a half pages. How many of y'all have ever noticed that you're, you're, you could be a spiritual giant in AA and then by the time you get home, you're a bit of a bully, maybe? Um, um, how many of you have noticed like when you when I used to go out and ride motorcycles and fly airplanes with the guys I used to run around with, we'd be cussing and gossiping and acting like a fool. It was a complete 180 from where I was in that in that AA meeting. I'm a spiritual giant. I'm so proud of my share. What an idiot. What an absolute moron. And and but once I began to see that. And this is the reason why Bill interjected it where he did, where he put it, where he did. We are talking about alcoholism. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. And then we're not from the ABCs onto the third step prayer. And then the third step prayer, which is pivotal in what we do. There's no mention of booze in the center of the prayer. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And it's only the inventory that helped me see how selfish I was. Guys, listen, our, our goal in, in recovery um, is to be as authentic as we can possibly be. That I, I am done being the stage character. I don't want to be seen as this guy uh, in an AA meeting and another guy completely. And every one of us, whether you are or not, uh, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, but, but I don't think there's anybody in here that does not um, um, have an experience of sitting in a meeting and watching a guy share and he sounds pretty special. And then later you find out that he's cheating on his wife and he's doing other stupid stuff. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not judging anybody. I'm just trying to get you to understand this stage character thing is a real concern. Uh, it's got nothing to do with booze. It's got nothing to do with dope. It's got to do with who we are authentically. Do we even give a crap about who we are? Do we care about our character? And I think each one of us as individual members of these, these fellowships need to look at that and then decide and if we if we do care, then let's let's look at an inventory and see um, some of the most profound inventories I've ever seen were inventories that were done years after somebody sobered up. And we can look at the 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 actual nuts and bolts so that we can take that stuff in in six and seven and ask God to remove from us all the things that are objectionable. Guys, let me address you real quick. How many of you guys? Uh, have sponsored men who got clear of the booze and the dope without too much trouble, but quickly turned to other things like porn or, or whatever 
I mean, I'm blown away. Listen, guys, I've seen more families destroyed by the porn and stuff than I have about with the booze stuff. I mean, it, it just, it can eat your life. It can consume it. What, who do we want to be? Um, in the words of old Mark Houston, um, I smell more. Um, and, and Bill Wilson did a fine job of painting a picture of what recovery truly looked like. Um, and then continued to talk to us about how cool it would be to be really free. Guys, let me, I, I, I don't know of anything goofier than to get up every morning, looking at the ceiling, and then look over at my nightstand and I've got my trigger list there and I'm gonna hang on to that and I'm gonna try to manhandle my day and try to keep, uh-uh. I, I just, I just, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. Yes, you may not be at the dope house. Yeah, you know, you may not be loaded, but it still seems like a goofy way to live your life. One of these days when you guys get a chance to meet my evil twin brother, Chris, ask him about the night we came back from Amsterdam. We, we were, we were coming back from Denmark where we had done a workshop and, and, um, uh, we had a layover, a 13-hour layover in Amsterdam. And I don't know, some of you guys are old enough to know about Amsterdam. Some of you younger, Google Amsterdam Red Light District and then erase it. You don't want that stuff on your computer, okay? But but look at look, <laughs> the, Amster, the airport, the international airport in Amsterdam. Um, uh, when you walk out one side of it, you walk into a big train station. And when you get to the other side of the train station, you're in the Red Light District. and And it's like, non-stop weird stuff and and we're walking through that stuff like this and i'm looking at chris and she's looking at me and it's cold because all we got sports coats on and we don't it's freezing cold and we're just walking through that place and we're laughing until i thought we were going to throw up on the street i mean it, it was the funniest stuff in the universe um and there was never a, a single moment when either one of us looked at each other and went you know we could get us some of that good stuff here we get nah nah that's what freedom is like. That's what we want. Um, Joe McQueen told me one time when we were having breakfast one morning and he said, he said, Myers, this thing always comes down to two things. And I said, no, it's a lot more than two things. And he said, no, that's the reason why you struggle so much. It comes down to two things. How much time did you spend with God today? Step 11. And how much time did you spend with God's kids? Step 12. I, I mean, listen, if you want if you want to stay sober and happy and continue to grow, stay active in in those disciplines of 10, 11 and 12. Um, uh, pray, meditate, open your eyes and your arms to the idea of different things being put in your life and then watch how cool your life will get. Um, I had never, ever knelt to pray in my life. And I do today. I had never really given any consideration to meditation. That's what, no, men don't do that. Guess what? Men do. I'm testify. Uh, I, I do. Um, and, and, and this idea of 12-step work, I'm blown away by how many people paint 12-step work as optional. When I get that job, when I get that girl, when I get this out of school, when I get some time under my belt, you know, Bill Wilson's six months sober and he's talking to Bill, I mean, to Dr. Bob and, and Dr. Bob was a couple of weeks sober when they're talking to, to these other cats. 
I mean, this idea that we got to be six months sober or a year sober to go carry a message someplace. Mike, I got to tell you, if you if if you guys in your group don't have a commitment to carry the message other places, um, y'all start looking for them. There's nothing more transformational than 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 carrying a message to a wind up joint or a treatment center. When the when the COVID crap hit, um, uh, we had 52 commitments a week carrying a message to other places. We have three meetings a week that we book studies. And then we had 52 commitments where we were carrying the message and it was powerful stuff. Um, it, it's a, it's a game changer to walk into a room full of people at the Salvation Army and to be able to, to, um, help them understand that there is indeed a solution. Guys, we got to stop this idea that people will find us if they need us. People, they'll come to our meeting eventually. No, they won't. Statistically, they won't. They'll come out, they'll walk into some goofy meeting, they'll get tired of it, and they'll go away. That's been my experience for a bunch of years. So we'll get out and get them. We'll snag them when they're out there, and then we'll bring them in and, and, and see if we can help them. Listen, I need to stop. And uh, I got to tell you, um, I love you, and um, I'm, I'm always here. If there's anything I can ever do to help from this end, well, this old Texan's right there to help, okay? Thank you, guys.